Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Um, if you're new here, my name is Matt Ortiz. I am one of the, um, one of the pastors here, and uh, I want to thank you for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, I know it's always weird to show up at a, a new church. It always feels a little awkward, but it is our desire uh, for you to feel like, like part of the family. Uh, to let you know what's been going on is we, um, we just wrapped up a series in the book of Philippians. Uh, titled, Finding Joy in a Broken World. Now, we're getting ready to start um, another series on the life of David with select passages from First and Second Samuel. Um, but before we get there, I wanted to focus on, a, on a, another aspect of what we've been talking about. One thing that I've noticed, you know, as I reflect on the series that we just uh, finished, in, in Philippians, finding joy in a, in a broken world. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that people who have a relationship, people that I know that have a relationship with God, um, who have the, moist, the most joy, have also had some of the most difficult lives, some of the most difficult lives you could ever imagine. You would think that they would just be down in the dumps constantly, just crushing in despair. They had horrible things happen, and yet they are also some of the most joyful people I've, I've ever met. Well, there's, an, a, another, as, there's another character trait, I think, that I've noticed uh, from Christians who have strong faith, people who have a relationship with God, people who have tough lives. They are also some of the strongest people. They are not only the most joyful and compassionate people, they are some of the strongest people I have ever met, some of the toughest people I've ever met, just un, unbreakable. And I'm fascinated by that. This morning, I want to talk about living life with the strength of, of confident assurance, living a, a, a not, not just surviving the tough times, but living a bold life in the midst of the tough times. Looking at hard times in the face and saying, you know what, give me your best shot. The Apostle Paul lived that kind of life. Sometimes we think the Apostle Paul was some kind of like super Christian or something like that, but he was just like us. He was human, just like the rest of us, and he had this kind of life. And we cannot talk about Paul's life without also talking about how tough his life was. And, and throughout the, um, the previous series, we talked about how he spent time in hardcore prison. He was severely beaten. Like five times, he received 39 lashes. Three times, the Romans beat him with rods. He endured stoning and lived to tell about it. And three times, he was shipwrecked. Three times. I don't know anybody that's been shipwrecked. He... He was shipwrecked three times. So it was like, oh man, again? It was rough. And Paul never gave up. He writes this letter to the Romans on his way to Jerusalem. His plan was to go to Jerusalem and then go to, to Rome and then on to Spain to preach the gospel and plant more churches. But on his way to Jerusalem, a prophet named Agabus warns him that in Jerusalem, that he's going to get arrested, he's going to get locked up, he's going to get thrown in prison. And Paul says this, I am ready. He says, I'm ready. 
I'm ready for that. I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Does, does that connect with you? Does that stir anything up in your heart? Or, or, or do you feel just kind of, do you separate yourself from the Apostle Paul and say, oh, that was him? This kind of faith is for you and me. To be able to say that I'm not only willing to be imprisoned for the name of the Lord Jesus, I'm ready to die for it. That kind of faith is available to you. It's available to Paul. It's available to you and me. Paul faced suffering and even death with just this unshakable, confident assurance. He refused to be controlled by fear. He lived a bold life in the face of incredible opposition, in the face of incredible, relentless suffering. And he finished well. And the question is, how? How did he do that? Well, possibly, one of the best answers that he gives us is here in Romans chapter 8. The context is suffering, right? Earlier, Paul tells us that the whole of creation and we ourselves groan inwardly because of the suffering in the world. In what I just, in what... Um, was just read, Paul tells us how to face that suffering and all of life with a, a bold yet humble confidence. And we, we learn three, three truths here in three statements that, that go together, and we're going to look at each of them. And if you're taking notes, the first one is this, that know that God works everything for our good. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when you hear this, it could probably stir up a lot of uh, mixed emotions. So let's just kind of walk through it a, a, a bit. Verse 28 again. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what is the promise here? Well, I, I think for us to understand this, we've got to look at, at some mis, misconceptions. We've got we to talk about what it doesn't mean so that we can appreciate what it does mean, okay? This does not promise that we, you won't experience bad things. It doesn't promise that. Terrible things happen to people who love God. Horrible things happen. It has since Christianity, since forever. People who love God, it's been going on forever. Horrible things have been happening to people who love God. And many Christians teach, and a lot of Christians believe, that if I love God and serve God and obey God, then bad things shouldn't be happening to me. But listen, you know that's not true from your own experience, right? You know this, uh, this verse in this whole Bible, I mean, we, it tells us that that just isn't true. Verse 35 kind of lists out all, just an ex a few examples of some of the horrible things uh, that can happen. It's like tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sore. All of those things can happen to Christians and do happen to Christians and more, just like everybody else, right? Nobody gets a free pass on suffering. Secondly, what it does not say. It doesn't say that things will just kind of coincidentally work together for good. They just do. It doesn't say that. You know why? Because they don't. And you know this. Things 
never work out for good on their own. On their own. Earlier, the Apostle Paul says, says, the whole of creation is in bondage to decay, right? The whole of creation is bondage to decay. Everything in it is breaking down and falling apart. You go to the beach, and all that sand, I'm told that all that sand used to be part of a mountain somewhere, that, it, that the mountain spread out fell and fell apart. I don't know if that's true or not, but I don't have to go to the beach. I just have to look in my mirror, and like a mountain... I am spreading out and falling apart. <laughs> All of creation is in bondage to decay. So if anything is going to work together for good, it's because God is working it for good. But also, this verse does not say that bad things are really good things. Right? At the tomb of Lazarus, what did Jesus do? He wept. Now, why in the world would Jesus weep? He knows, right? He knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the grave. So why in the world is he weeping? Because the thing that he's about to work for good is genuinely bad. Horribly bad. The Bible doesn't teach that bad things are blessings in disguise. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that every cloud has a silver lining. That is not in the scripture anywhere. The promise here is not that these bad things will turn out to actually be good things. No, bad things are never good things. So then what does it say? What is the promise? The promise is that God will take all of the bad things and work them for your good. Meaning that God will so turn the tables on evil that the bad things can actually advance the good for you. Cool. When? He doesn't say. We may not even see the good that it produces in our lifetime. But in the big picture, in the final analysis, we will see that God, in fact, did work all things, all the bad things for good in your life. Now, uh, John Newton, that's John Newton right there. He wrote um, Amazing Grace, right? And he's got some impressive hair. He says, everything is necessary that God sends, and nothing can be necessary that he withholds. I don't know about you, but apart from the promise that the Apostle Paul gives us in the Scripture, that makes me angry. It kind of makes me angry. Everything is necessary that he sends, and nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Apart from the promise, that quote makes me mad. But in light of the promise that we have, that God does and can and will, has the power to do, the love to, to motivate him, to work all bad things for our good. In light of that promise, this is one of the most encouraging quotes ever, and, and stirs up a, a rest and a peace within me. 
that the pain isn't, isn't uh, pointless. That there is a purpose to it, even though we can't sometimes even imagine what it is. The things that God withholds from me might, might be good for me in the, in the short term, but in the long run, they'd be terrible. And any bad thing that God brings into my life will ultimately be worked for my good. That is the promise. Now, who is the promise for? Check it out. Paul gives two conditions, right, for receiving that promise. Look at it again. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This promise is made for those who love God and to those who are called. These are the two conditions that define a Christian, right? First, when he says those who love him, this means people who, who know God, people who have a relationship with God. They, they've been so gripped by God and his grace and who he is and what he's done for them in Jesus that they want to they live lives that are just kind of an, a constant expression of saying thank you. By, and, and you do that by, by committing to live for him and following him and trusting him and, and obeying his, his law. And when he says to those who are called according to his purpose, this refers to the call of the gospel. These are people who not only heard the call of the gospel with their ears, but they have experienced the power of the gospel in their hearts, right? God's spirit has, has worked in their hearts so that they will not only know the good news about Jesus, but they trust Jesus. And they, they trust him to be their, their Lord, their ultimate leader in their life. They trust him to be their savior, their, their deliverer, the only one that can deliver them and save them. But this is a Christian. Now, now here's, here's the thing. There are so many people who claim to love God and claim to obey him, but their motives are all jacked up. Like, Maybe their primary motive is, is, is like fear of punishment. If I, if I step out of line, God's like Zeus in the sky and will throw a lightning bolt at you. We don't want to, you know, you don't want to mess up. Or it's, or it's a desire to, you know, we'll, we'll obey God and trust God to, you know, get my best life now as if God were like Santa Claus or something. And so others have, they, they, they have, I know all kinds of, of, of people who have an intellectual understanding of the gospel, but there is no, there's no determination, no, no love, no affection that drives them to obey God and his gospel. There's, I mean, it's just all head knowledge. But a Christian is someone who has just been just overwhelmed by the love of Jesus. And it, it, it compels them to want to live for Jesus. They love God, committed to living holy lives that, that, that please him. This is who the promise is for. Now, did you notice the first three words in this promise? The first three words are, and we know. Let me ask you. 
Do you know? I mean, do you know? Do you know that God works everything? I mean, you think about everything going on in your life. Do you know that he works everything for good? I'm telling you right now, we cannot face life with any confident assurance or boldness unless we know this. So how can we know it? Because God's goal for us is guaranteed. It is guaranteed. That's our second point. We know it because it's guaranteed. You know what? Consciously, we... Let me say this. Consciously, we might not say, you know, I'm afraid I'm not going to make it. But I think... Often, subconsciously, and, and, and we, when we look at the, the worry and the anxiety, um, you know, and, and the stress in our lives, deep down, we have like this driving belief that, that we're not going to make it. We're not going to get what we need. That God really isn't in control. But God's goal for us is guaranteed. So, first, What is God's goal for you? In other words, what exactly is God's good for the Christian? God's good for you. The good for which God is working all things together. Well, um, I've also noticed a lot of people uh, kind of treat Romans 8.28 like, like a fortune cookie. Have you noticed that? So, so, you know, maybe you didn't get accepted into the college that you were hoping to get accepted into, or, or maybe the person that, that you wanted to marry, you thought you were going to marry, they ended up marrying somebody else. Or, you know, maybe, you know, you had this dream job and it looked like things were lining up and then it fell apart, the deal fell up, didn't, didn't work. And so, you know, you're frustrated, you're, you're down in the dumps, and you crack open your fortune cookie, and it says, God works all things together for good, and you think, wow, God must have a better college for me, or God must have a, a better spouse than me than that jerk, or whatever. God must have a better job for me, right? But that's not the promise. That is not the good Paul's talking about here. See, verse 28 doesn't stand alone. The first word in verse 29, for, meaning that it's connected to verse 28. Now listen to verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So, what is God's goal for you? The goal is to become like Christ. That's the goal, to become like Jesus. The good that he is working everything toward, the ultimate good is being like Jesus. God does not promise you better circumstances. He promises you a life like Jesus's, and nothing can be better than that. Jesus didn't suffer so that you would never suffer. Nobody gets a free pass on suffering. Jesus suffered so that when you suffer, you will become like him. 
Paul is saying that in everything that happens, God is molding you. God is shaping you. He is refining you. He is sculpting you into the likeness of Jesus. God is committed to using absolutely everything that happens in your life, both good and bad, to make you like Jesus. So often, when something horrible comes in, into our lives, it is so easy to say, why is this happening to me? I don't know why God picked that specific thing. But I do know why he might bring, why he brings that into my life. It's to make me more like Jesus. He, he is working into, to, uh, he, sometimes it's painful. But he's working into our hearts and lives and incredible courage and incredible humility. He's working into our, our, our hearts and lives holiness, uh, compassion, wisdom, a desire to glorify God no matter what. That is God's ultimate good in our life. And nothing, absolutely nothing can get in the way of this because it is guaranteed. It is guaranteed. And that leads to our next question, which is, why is God's goal for you guaranteed? It's guaranteed because it does not depend on you. I mean, if you think that it depends on you, that should fill you with despair. Because you know you, and I know me. Right? It's guaranteed because it does not depend on you. Depends on God. Ed Clowney said this. The message of the whole Bible is summarized in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. And that's exactly uh, what our passage says. Look at it. He says um, in verse 30, the bottom part here, and those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This right here is just jam-packed with assurance. Packed with assurance. Now, I can't cover this whole verse right now, but let me point out a, a, couple, a couple of things. First of all, each verb describes the same set of people. Those he foreknew, he also predestines, calls, justifies, and glorifies. It is the same people from beginning to end. You know what that means? God doesn't lose anyone along the way. He doesn't lose anyone along the way. And then he adds, those he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, I know that raises all kinds of questions and good questions, but look, I, I want you to, I want to approach this from a, 
um, a pastoral perspective. Paul, Paul is being pastoral here when he brings this up. Paul uses the word predestined not to confuse us, but to comfort us. He doesn't bring it up to debate the theological subtleties of the word predestined, which can be a good thing, but we need to remember that the context here is suffering, and God is comforting his people here with the fact that God's goal for us being like Jesus is absolutely 100% guaranteed. You can count on it. And then he adds, those he justified, he also glorified. You know what he didn't, you know what's weird? He didn't say, those he justified, he will also glorify. He's used the past tense. Why does he use past tense for something that's obviously future? Well, here's why. Because the guarantee is so good. Because it is so, the promise is so fixed. It is so certain, so, so rock solid that it's as if it has already happened. Okay? In fact, from God's perspective, it already has happened. It is a done deal. I mean, you can count on it. If you believe that, that will stir up a blessed assurance. Do you see Paul's logic here? We know God works all things together for our good because God's goal for us is guaranteed. And if you are a Christian, that's true for you. I mean, even if you're not feeling it. Even if you don't feel that, that, that assurance, it doesn't matter. How you feel about it doesn't determine whether or not it's true. It is true, regardless of the way you feel about it. You know why? Because it doesn't depend on you and how you feel about it. It depends on God. And how can that enable us to face life with, with just confident assurance and, and, and boldness? How can we apply that truth to our lives? That's our last point. Paul says, think about it. Think about it. Well, think about what? Think about the gospel. Think about the good news of Jesus. Meditate on it. See, Paul closes with, and we're going to go through them, he closes with a series of questions. And, and the purpose of his questions is to drive out our disbelief, to drive out our despondency, so that we will know that we are totally saved by grace, and therefore we are completely safe, and we really can face life with confidence here and now, no matter what's going on. Paul tells us to think and, and he just kind of rolls out this, this aggressive, relentless logic. It is a, like gospel logic on fire. Look at his questions. Starting in verse 11, um, excuse, 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So, do you fear opposition? Do you feel trapped by your past failures. Apostle Paul says, think about it. Since God, who determined to glorify you, is the all-powerful God who created the universe, who in the world can be against you? 
I mean, sure, there will be people and things in your life that seem to be against you, but God is working all things, even your own failures, in such a way that they will actually advance God's goal in your life. He will use them to make you more like Jesus. And then next question. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Are you worried about your needs? Everybody I know is. And Paul says, think about it. Since God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son to die for you, he will also give you all that you need. But what we think we need is usually a lot different. Right? Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Do you fear criticism? Do you feel guilty? Condemned? The Apostle Paul says, think about it. Think about the good news. God's already declared you righteous in Jesus. And it is his it's his opinion of you that is the only opinion that ultimately counts. And since he justified you once and for all time, no one can ever bring any charge against you that will ever stick. You are righteous in the righteous one. Next question, verse 34. Who is, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So let me ask you, do you fear rejection? Do you fear failure? Do you fear judgment? The Apostle Paul says, think about the good news. Jesus took all of your condemnation on the cross, and he has been raised to life, proving that God has accepted his sacrifice on your behalf. And now he intercedes for you. God cannot condemn you. God cannot punish you for the sin Jesus already paid for. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sorrow? Look at Paul's answer. <laughs> no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let me ask you, are you a Christian? Have you been called according to his purpose? In other words, have you experienced the power, the gospel of, of grace in, in, in your life that led to 
to uh, repentance and total dependence upon Jesus and, and his sacrifice for you. And, and, and you find a new love for him, to live for him, out of gratitude. And, and, and now you're committed to living for him. Obeying his law as an expression of love and, and having this desire to, to glorify God? Are you a Christian? If so, then know this. God is working everything for your good. And you can be sure of that because his goal for you is guaranteed. And you can face life with blessed assurance as you meditate on the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, or you're not sure. Maybe you're thinking, you know what, it, it, it sounds like all I can do is just, you know, wait around and hope God calls me. That's not true. First of all, it's not the whole truth. First of all, if you are seeking God, if you have a desire to know God, that means that God is already at work in your life. He's already at work in your heart. See, left to ourselves, we don't seek him. But if you are, it is because God is already seeking you. That's why he says, if you seek me, you will find me because I'm already seeking you. And second, Paul says later that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, God calls us through the gospel. God calls us through the good news of Jesus. So I urge you to get with a, a Christian friend and study and discuss this gospel, this good news of Jesus. Keep soaking in it. I'll end, I'll end with this. What happened to Paul? Well, the prophet Agabus was right. When Paul got to Jerusalem, he was arrested. And he was taken to Rome. And he was locked up. He was brought before Nero and courageously testified that Jesus is Lord, not Nero. And Nero found him guilty of treason and ordered that Paul be executed. Paul was chained Taken by soldiers, his head was placed on the chopping block, and when the executioner swung his axe, Paul reached his ultimate goal. At that instant, Paul left the presence of Nero and entered the presence of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, can you even imagine what that's like? What that would be like? Can you picture going from your worst possible nightmare to a place so gloriously beautiful that it's just beyond anything that you could ever imagine? I mean, one moment you are looking into the demon-possessed face of a power-crazed tyrant, and the very next you're looking into the strong and loving eyes of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So Paul says, think about it. Let's end by reading this verse together. Nothing 
in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's read that one more time. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good news. We thank you that it is true regardless of how we feel about it, regardless of whether we believe it or not. We thank you that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. We thank you that our salvation doesn't depend on us, that it depends on you and you alone. God, I I pray that whenever we feel uh, fear, Whenever we feel despondency, whenever we, fear, uh, whenever we feel uh, fear creeping into our hearts and, and, and lives, God, it is my prayer that you would use even those emotions to, to trigger us to think about the good news. That you are sovereign, that you are powerful, that you are in control, and that you love us. And that in ways that we will never fully understand in this life, you are working all things together for good. So God, increase our faith in you as we look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith. God, help us to encourage each other with the good news to build each other up. God, I pray that, that, that you would make us a, a, a people who live bold and humble lives, filled with joy. No matter what happens, no matter what happens in, in our personal lives, no matter what happens in our family, no matter what happens in our country or throughout the world. Help us to remember that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will fulfill his purposes and that we will be blessed. Help us to see that we already are blessed, especially in the painful times of, of life. We acknowledge that no one gets a free pass on suffering. That we're either going to suffer for the right reasons or the wrong reasons or in the right way or the wrong way, but we will suffer. And God, I pray, Lord, that in those times we would lean into you. Lean into our relationship with you. And be assured that you love us and that you're in control and that you will fulfill your purposes. We pray this in your name.